0: Good morning, everyone. D.L. Moody, uh, the well known American evangelist, made a promise with God that he would witness for Christ to at least one person each day. One night, about 10 o'clock, he realised that he had not yet witnessed. So he got out of bed, got dressed, and in the, out, went out into the Chicago snow and spoke to a man standing by a lamppost, asking him, Are you a Christian? The man flew into a violent rage and threatened to knock Moody into the gutter. Later, that same man went to an elder of Moody's church and complained that Moody was doing more harm than good than ten men were doing good in the city. The elder begged Moody to temper his zeal with knowledge. Three months later, Moody was awakened at the YMCA by a man knocking at the door. It was the man he had witnessed to at the lamppost. I want to talk to you about my soul, he said to Moody. He apologised for the way he had treated Moody and said that he'd had no peace ever since that night on Lake Street when Moody witnessed to him. Moody led the man to Christ and the man went on to become a, a zealous worker for God himself. According to the Bible, there's only two groups of people on the earth today. Two ways that we can divide mankind for all our differences, for all our variety. Um, There are those who know Christ and those who don't know Christ. The Bible talks about this in different ways lost, found, saved, unsaved, those who have eternal life and those who will not see life. Life and death. I wonder how you go personally um, sharing your faith with people sharing the good news about Jesus only Jesus can save only Jesus can forgive and we call the good news about Jesus the gospel it just means good news Uh, I'm certainly no expert at evangelism sharing Jesus but I have shared Jesus with a lot of people I remember at university going around during my lunch breaks and sitting down with um, strangers and, and talking about Jesus, um, Bible studies, people on the train, workmates at lunch. I think of Andrew calling me up when he was on holiday. Andrew had recently joined my Bible study. We had two weeks off and uh, he called me up on holiday telling me he was planning to commit suicide. He said, give me some reasons why I shouldn't. He wasn't a Christian then, but over the next few weeks, myself and others prayed for him. I got everyone I knew to try and uh, pray for Andrew. And after a few weeks, he gave his life to Christ. I think about Alex. We prayed for Alex most mornings for six months and saw him commit his life to Jesus. Then we saw his friend Lee. Then we saw his friend Tim these guys were uh, party animals some of whom who I th- thought would never commit their lives to Christ but they did I think of Muhammad I was just minding my own business reading the Bible on the train he started a conversation with me he was sitting next to two other gentlemen they were all in um, Pakistani, Bangladeshi um, traditional Muslim clothing he said is that a Bible and I said yes it is He said, I've seen you reading that Bible on the train uh, every day for the last few months. You must be a holy man. Uh, In the following months, I went to his mosque a few times, Uh, went to his house for dinner, Uh, had lunch with him several times. We talked about Christ, we talked about uh, the need for forgiveness. He thought I was in trouble uh, and didn't follow God appropriately. I thought he was in trouble (laughs) and needed to experience the forgiveness of Christ. So we agreed it was pretty important we'd meet together to uh, talk about it and we did until our jobs and circumstances uh, parted ways and I went overseas. But for all these people I can think of that I've shared Christ with, I can think of so many more who I haven't shared Christ with. I can think of those who, in hindsight, I wish I would have taken the chance to share Christ with. I think of my primary school friend Max um, close in primary school, but then in secondary school, we our separate ways. Max lived quite a wild life. Um, one evening, he'd uh, been out at the pub, drinking heavily, on his way home, drove off the road uh, into a tree and died. I wish I could have shared Christ more effectively with Max. I wonder if I had maintained my friendship, whether Max could have had a different outcome in life. I wonder for you, um, what, it, what is it that stops you sharing your faith with Jesus, sharing your faith in Jesus with other people? We're going to have an interactive um, session now. Andrew is going to type for us. And I'm asking for people from the floor to give me some suggestions of what stops you sharing the good news about Jesus with people you know, whether friends, family, workmates. Fear? What sort of Fear? Yep, fear you might lose a friend. Uh, fear of rejection. Maybe fear of um, in, what, in, in that they won't listen. Fear that they'll be angry at you. Yeah. Yep. Fear of not having the right answers. Yep. Uh, getting to the topic. Yep. So not not knowing what to say. Not having the right answers. Um, yeah, I'm still on that point. Sorry, yeah. Paul. What was yours? Getting round to the topic. Yep. feeling like it's a bit artificial maybe to, to try and get Jesus into a conversation or um, just yeah not knowing how it's going to pop up not not finding an, an easy way to have a chat though, yep. me, sort of praying, but sometimes... I'll say lack of prayer that's a good point Yeah. not enough of a priority yep The word busyness comes to mind? Distraction. Distraction and busyness. Ridicule is another one. Ridicule. Yep. It sort of comes back to that fear of rejection or um, reputation, risk, ridicule. Any others? Pride. Pride. Yep. Don't want people to think we're as silly as we really are. (laughs) Yep. Yep they might find out the truth <laughs> that we're a weak human being just like them what else holier than, holier than now, yep knowledge that we're actually pretty weak and sinful and full of failure ourselves and worried that people won't see that and they'll think we're just being um, <coughs> super godly or holier than thou yep. don't know how to start the conversation yep Similar to Paul's point. Wanting to say something, not knowing how to. Like not yep, thinking this is not something they want to hear. This is not something that's relevant to them. Or if we think it's relevant, we don't think they'll be convinced it is. Given that it's life and death, it's pretty relevant. Anything else? Yep, got to go down and get the paper or get the milk or put the bins out or a million other things. Got to get to work, get home from work, go to bed, get up. Lack of time. Anything else? Anything so yeah, not knowing what to say. Well not knowing what to say in Yep. And how to handle it. Any others? I want to put um, political correctness up there. Yep, so not knowing whether what the Spirit's doing in their life and whether we've got the opening to speak or... Yeah, so we're not actually aware, we're not praying, we're not sort of open to what the Holy Spirit's leading us to do. Yeah, so I'll put, maybe put that under um, our personal walk. Maybe. Not spiritually prepared. Yep, Yeah, that's the piece about us we stop ourselves one more dot point (laughs) laziness Laziness. all right that'll do we're going to keep them up there thank you Andrew for typing live and um, putting those up for us we're going to come back to those if you think about the Great Commission, uh, Jesus, one of the final things Jesus said to his immediate disciples and apostles was as follows. You can read this in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If we have to condense this Great Commission into a few words, we could do it a couple of ways. One of the ways we could say is make disciples. So what does make disciples look like? I want to break it down simply into two things. Get them saved, help them grow. We can call that saved and sanctified. Introducing people to Jesus, giving them an opportunity to grow and Know more about him, grow in their relationship with him. And that's our purpose here as a church at Monty, to give everyone an opportunity uh, to meet Jesus, to know more about him. When we come to Acts, which is the book we've the book we've been studying together for the past several weeks, we read in Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, so far in Acts, we've seen this great commission being worked out by the early followers of Jesus in those first few decades after Jesus rose from the dead and uh, went back to heaven. Acts, Acts 1, chapters 1-7, to 7, we saw the apostles and disciples of Jesus witnessing for him in, in Jerusalem. Then in chapter 8, when Saul persecutes the church, scholars tell us he persecuted the church for around three years and all those Christians in Jerusalem were forced out into Judea, surrounding Jerusalem and and to Samaria. Then we come to Acts chapter 9 which we studied a few weeks ago. We see the first hints that phase 3 is about to kick off. First Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. This good, good news about Jesus dying for our sin is going to go out. And of course by the end of the book of Acts we see that disciples of Jesus have spread the Christian faith and the message about Jesus throughout the entire Roman Empire even to within Caesar's household even to high-ranking government officials at the centre of Rome. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14 "'This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world "'as a testimony to all nations.' and then the end will come. Witnessing to to Jesus to the ends of the earth isn't complete yet. How do we know that this work of the gospel isn't finished? Jesus hasn't come back. There are still people who need to be told about forgiveness and about peace with God. There are still people who need to come and can come to know Jesus. So we're picking up Acts chapter 9. If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. A few weeks ago we looked at the first 19 verses of Acts. I'm going to look at the rest of, or the mid part of chapter 9 today. First I want to look at Acts chapter 26 if you want to turn there with me. You see, Paul the Apostle wasn't there when Jesus gave the Great Commission. Paul wasn't there at Pentecost when the Spirit came. Paul wasn't there... Uh, when Jesus said, "You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth," but Jesus—I re- mean, but Paul received his own great commission from Jesus. Acts chapter 26, verse 12 says, "I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests to persecute Christians. About noon, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground." And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads." Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Of course, we saw after Paul encountered Christ on the road that he went into Damascus and met a man named Ananias. If you turn with me to Acts 22, verse 12. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there in Damascus. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Saul was completely devoted to opposing the name of Christ and to destroying his church. But after meeting Christ, he becomes completely devoted to preaching Christ and to building his church. So that was what we covered last time. We asked ourselves, are we we devoted to God? Have we met Christ and uh, become devoted to being a witness for him? Today we read from Acts chapter 9, if you want to turn there with me. Acts chapter 9, verse 19. Saul's just been converted to Christ. And from verse 19, we read Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The first question we might ask is how Paul was able to preach Christ so immediately. No three-year Bible course, no discipleship training, no evangelism short course, no years of discipleship and reading and studying. Yes, Paul was a Pharisee, he was a master of the Old Testament but that's not a reason why he becomes a powerful witness for Christ overnight. The answer is that the Holy Spirit had filled Paul. The Holy Spirit had empowered Paul. The Holy Spirit gave Paul a direct revelation of Jesus Christ and the truth about him. When an uneducated fisherman called Peter preached to 3,000 people or more, 3,000 were saved. It was, wasn't the uh, power of Peter's speech or his eloquence. It was the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to change human hearts. Now that same spirit is the fire in Paul's heart, the power in his speech, the power in his witness. We read on, verse 23. After many days had gone by... There was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. We read in Corinthians that the governor of the city itself was in charge of trying to kill Paul here, trying to capture him. With all the Roman soldiers of Damascus one fact you can't miss throughout the book of Acts is that the gospel message often offends people for everybody in Acts that receives the message openly and wants to hear more there's plenty more who don't want to hear it or who outrightly oppose it think of the responses you see in the book of Acts people gnash their teeth people start riots People form angry mobs, trashing places, beating up people. People get violent. I think we sometimes forget that the gospel message has this power to offend and insult, regardless of how gently and respectfully we present it. Some of the reasons we looked at before. We're afraid of saying things that are politically incorrect, afraid to be seen as intolerant or narrow-minded, afraid that we might lose a friend, alienate a neighbour, lose our job. But it's not our role to make the gospel other than it is. It's a message that says, yes, you're a sinner who's offended God. Yes, you're a sinner who has rebelled against God and deserves judgement. But Jesus Christ has presented himself as a sacrifice to God to save you. It's a message of good news, but it comes with the bad news that we have to first accept about ourselves, that we're broken people, sinful people, who deserve God's just, just judgment. So maybe open air, eating, open air meetings or standing on soapboxes um, isn't it as effective at getting people to hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus, as it once was. But we still need to be bold. We need to find ways to share Jesus. We need to find ways to be a witness for him. And we need to challenge ourselves honestly as to whether our witnessing has become timid and weak for a variety of reasons that might stop us witnessing. Back to the passage in verse 26. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. The book of Acts covers a little over 30 years of history, but it's not always obvious when there's a jump in the timeline. We rely on other books in the New Testament to provide more information, uh, and sometimes other historical sources, such as Josephus and so on, to uh, pin calendar dates to some of these events. Our Bible reading earlier in the service was Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, we see that Paul's visit to Jerusalem actually occurs three years after his conversion. On the road to Damascus. During these three years, Paul spent time in both Damascus and Arabia, assumedly teaching, discipling, preaching in synagogues. When Paul does come to Jerusalem, he spends just over two weeks there. This is his old stomping ground. Some of his relatives live in Jerusalem, at least his sister and nephew, and maybe others. Many of his old friends, his old Pharisee colleagues. Perhaps Paul will be daunted by the religious hierarchy in Jerusalem. These people all know him so well. They've known him since he was a a small child. Maybe he'll be worried that they they may frown on his betrayal of their orthodoxy. I mean, he marched out three years earlier with letters to go and stop the church, to persecute it, to arrest everyone and bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. Now he's coming back in as as a chief preacher in the movement maybe Paul should keep a low profile no Paul speaks boldly for Christ he spends 15 days in Jerusalem because he has to get out of there because they're trying to kill him another question I'd have to ask about this passage is why are the other apostles still in Jerusalem and in Judea It's around six years after the ascension of Jesus. They still haven't got very far out of town. To me, the simple answer is that their prejudice is blinding them to seeing the real harvest, blinding them to seeing the true power of the gospel. Even though Jesus made it clear to them that they should preach forgiveness in his name to all nations, they're still stuck in Jerusalem, still stuck thinking as Jews and having the mindset that the Gentiles aren't really where God's got his heart of forgiveness directed towards. Of course, in the next chapters of Acts, we're going to see that uh, the Spirit opens Peter's eyes through Cornelius, opens Peter's eyes to the full message of the Gospel. As Cornelius, a, a Gentile Roman soldier, is saved and filled with the Spirit. But up until this point, the Apostles have missed the obvious, that God actually wants all people to hear about Jesus Christ. And I think we carry these same prejudices as Christians today. In our mind, we decide who can and can't be saved, who God should and shouldn't save, perhaps. We put people in a box uh, and ignore the fundamental need for all to hear the gospel and for all to have an opportunity to meet Jesus and be transformed By His grace and forgiveness. Some examples for you to think about that we may be marginalised today. Maybe there's others for you. What about uh, beard beard toting hipsters, if you know who they are? What about people with alternative? I wasn't looking at you, sir. Um, What about people with alternative sexuality? What about militant atheists? What about environmentalists? What about Muslims? What about beer-guzzling sports fans? Are you more confident or less confident to share Christ with these people? In your mind, do you think God is less able to save some of these people? That perhaps if you share, you're going to get a worse reaction? Or that somehow these people are different and don't need the salvation of Jesus? The reality, of course, is the opposite, that all these people need Christ. There's only two camps in the world, those that know Jesus, those that don't, those that have an eternal hope of forgiveness and peace with God, and and those who have no hope. Take away all the trimmings, all the fluff, all the wealth, all the prosperity, all that perceived happiness, all the fitness, lifestyle, job success, fundamentally, The decision we make whether we're going to follow Christ or not is the only one that matters. (coughs) If we go back to the opening slide, I want to spend some time working through some of these and and see if we can actually look at some of these barriers that genuinely stop us from um, telling people about Jesus. See whether the example of Paul uh, and the other witnesses in the book of Acts can, can give us some inspiration, can give us some encouragement and challenge about how we might think about these points. So if we look at the fear that people won't listen and we look at Paul, it didn't seem to stop him. They chased him out of town trying to kill him but Paul didn't hold back with the message of the gospel on the basis that people wouldn't listen. Sometimes when they wouldn't listen, sometimes when they mocked, sometimes when they scorned, Paul said, well, I've witnessed to you And there's other people that need to hear. So you've had your chance. And he went and he spoke elsewhere. But he always gave people the chance. It says towards the end of the book of Acts, Paul, his testimony is that he hasn't hesitated to preach the gospel to all people. He's innocent of all people's blood, he says. Fear of rejection. Paul coming back into Jerusalem with all his old friends, all his old Pharisees. Doesn't stop him. He preaches to the Hellenistic Jews. These are his old countrymen. He's from Cilicia himself, a Hellenistic Jew. From Alexandria, from Syria, from Cilicia. These are the guys that now want to kill him. They were in his persecution club a few years previously. Fear of not having the right answers. Paul on day one went out, or at least in the first several days, went out having met Christ, having come to Christ and immediately went in and started preaching Christ. Now, he had the advantage that you don't have. He had the direct revelation of the Holy Spirit of the risen Christ and he met Christ personally. You don't, you don't have that to the same degree, but you've got the Bible. This is God's full revelation to humankind. You may feel that God won't give you the words to say. I'd suggest that When Paul went out, there was plenty of times where he was challenged and didn't always have an immediate answer. But if we look at humble fishermen, if we look at Stephen the martyr, if we look at Paul, we see men and women in the book of Acts who were transformed by the Spirit's power and enabled to tell people the good news of Jesus. Getting around to the topic, I don't think Paul waited, to be honest. I think if you were with Paul for five minutes... You probably would have heard the gospel whether you liked it or not, and I think sometimes um, by trying to be sensitive to people and by trying to build relationship, we can actually make that a bit of an excuse for not sharing with people. If I think of uh, my primary school friend Max that I told you about before, in hindsight I go, you know what? Maybe I waited a bit too long to get to the topic. I don't have the chance now. He's gone. Lack of prayer. I think that's a key. Um, I've seen a number of people saved through my life. I've never seen anyone saved without prayer. God, in his wisdom, has chosen to use us as his witnesses. He could definitely have chosen a better, more reliable means, he would have thought, but he has chosen us to be his witnesses. And as we rely on him in prayer, um, we can see people saved. I think our prayer for the lost is probably a a real litmus test of our maturity in Christ. I know as I was preparing this um, study the other night, I was just really convicted to fall on the ground and get before God and say, you know what, God, I don't think my passion for the lost has been where it should be. I don't think I've been faithful. I've been distracted. And I think... um, that others here probably could have that same opportunity to humble ourselves before God and say please help us be faithful not a priority probably covered that for Paul what was an obsession to persecute the church became a blinding obsession to build the church nothing else mattered all the things that were important to him before he just considered a pile of rubbish fear of ridicule doesn't seem to have stopped Stephen or Peter or Paul it's real but what have you got to lose and what have the people that you need to share with got to lose pride fear of holier than thou people reacted angrily to Paul we see when he gets to the theatre in um, Ephesus he wants to go in and speak to these up to 25,000 people that have gathered in in defence of um, a false idol in the city Paul's not worried about his own reputation he's left that behind Uh, don't know how to start the conversation prayer will help um, I always find if I start the day asking God for an opportunity to share Christ, there's very few days that go past where I don't get that. And I can think of many days where I haven't started the day with a prayer for asking for an opportunity to share Christ and I haven't had one. Worried they aren't interested. Again, if we look at the example of Paul... His fundamental query wasn't are you interested in the gospel? Do you think you need salvation? Do you think you've got a broken relationship with God? His first point of call was here is the truth about Christ. You can you can decide what to do with it. You can decide um, whether to accept Christ or not but I'm going to be faithful to preach it. I'm going to be faithful to, to let you know the opportunities there. Busyness is a huge one I think. But how much of your busyness is self-inflicted? How much distractions in there? How much mind-numbing entertainment? How much busyness and clutter that we don't need? I've been really trying to thin out some of the stuff that's just distraction I don't need so that I can spend more time on what's important. If we go back to the Great Commission, Make Disciples really fundamentally if you ask yourself what is your purpose in life well it's not to make money it's not to be successful in a career if you're a Christian your purpose is to make disciples when you become a Christian God doesn't get a divine vacuum cleaner and suck you up and take you to heaven he leaves you here on earth a key reason he does that is for your own maturity sure but so that you can make disciples So that you can be a part of people being saved, so that you can be a part of people growing. Political correctness, I think, is a big one, especially in the workplace. There's so many policies and rules about don't sneeze, it might offend someone. Um, Paul was about as politically incorrect as you could possibly be. In a Roman Empire that said Caesar was God and the only one worthy of allegiance, Paul says, actually, there's King Jesus if you don't worship him, you're in trouble. It doesn't matter how you respond to Caesar, but if you don't respond to Jesus, King Jesus, you're in big trouble. And you see the Jews trying to use that political correctness to convict Jesus in the courtroom. Look, this man's stirring up trouble. He's telling people that Caesar isn't the only king. Paul wasn't politically correct. Not spiritually prepared. All these people that we see in the book of Acts, we often see them praying. We often see them, it says, they're full of the Holy Spirit and power. They weren't full of the Holy Spirit um, just because the Holy Spirit filled them, but they were full of the Holy Spirit because they allowed the Holy Spirit to have an influence on them. They surrendered their lives to the Holy Spirit and said, Holy Spirit, where do you want us to be? What do you want us to say? What do you want us to do? We need to be surrendered to the Spirit. And laziness, there's probably another... 100 or 200 uh, words we can put in there to describe our failure uh, to be devoted to Christ as we should be. I think a lot of those points up there, I'm not sure if you agree, but I think a lot of those points up there we can be pretty encouraged by as we read the book of Acts. I think there's a lot of points there that we can be even rebuked by, challenged by, um, to see these early Christians and how they witnessed and learn from them in terms of our witness. I want to leave you just with a couple of closing thoughts about some things I've thought about witnessing for Christ in close closing prayer. So the first that I have is that God is at work. I remember a guy called Jim. I was on a construction site with Jim. I was down in the trenches with jackhammers and Crowbars. He was up in the backhoe. He was a tough man, covered in tats, Um, No one would have crossed Jim. Stern guy, pretty strict, but he had had an amazing work ethic. If you weren't a hard worker, Jim wrote you off. He wouldn't have the time of day for you. One time, I got the uh, jackhammer stuck in a line of rock, buried about half a metre down in the ground. Jim saw his head off at me. What were you doing? What were you thinking? Um, I spent the next three hours with a crowbar getting that jackhammer out of the rock, smashing the rock and getting it out. That day, Jim had new respect for me because I spoke his language, the language of hard work. Over the next coming few months, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with Jim. Turned out that his niece was a Christian, but she'd never been able to share the gospel with him. He always shut her down. Here I was at Jim's work, sharing the gospel with him, sharing him how to be saved. His, his niece probably to this day doesn't know that I had that opportunity to share with Jim but I can bet you his niece was praying for him. God is always at work. Don't try and second guess it. Don't look at someone's life and think you know everything that's going on. God uses many ways, many angles. He's not limited by anything. If he wants to speak into someone's life, he will. Our job is to be part of that, to be open to where God wants to use us. God is always at work. Another thing is never say never to the last breath. Um, Mariana's grandmother at the moment is probably on her last few months, according to the doctors. Um, she went through World War Two. she's incredibly bitter, fled the Russian front. Uh, she thinks God's responsible for all that. And uh, she married a fairly um, strong atheist husband. <coughs> He's also been a strong influence against her. But we're praying that Maz's um, grandma can still find Christ in these last few months. We never know when it's too late. Until someone's breathed their last, God can still, by his Spirit, work in a heart. So I know some of you have been pretty discouraged because people in your family, people you know, people, um, your friends, you've been praying a long time, you're not seeing change. It might be a son or a daughter. But never say never. The Spirit is more powerful than any human heart. If you look at him taking someone like Paul, you would say, Paul is never going to become a Christian. He's just been running around for three years, killing them, beating them, um, blaspheming, forcing them to blaspheme. But the Holy Spirit takes Paul and says, I want you for the work of witnessing for Christ. Finally, prayer is a heartbeat. Of the Christian who wants to witness. Don't think that um, a life without prayer is going to be effective. If we want to introduce people to Jesus, if we want to be sensitive to the spirit and how he's working in someone's heart, how, how he is leading someone, then we need to be prayerful. This is his work. We're the witnesses. He's the one that does the saving. I've never saved a single soul, but by God's grace, I've been part of the picture. I've been a prayer. I've been someone who shared. And I thank God that he's allowed me to be a part of it. But it's his Holy Spirit that does the work. And we need to seek through prayer what he wants us to be saying to people, how he wants us to be involved. I'm going to close in prayer now. Um, But I hope that as we go into this week, that we can be renewed in our focus for seeing a lost come to know Christ. For playing our part in that. Let me pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, we thank you for you, for you and your heart of reconciliation that through Jesus and his death on the cross, his resurrection and power, you are drawing people to yourself. Enemies, spiritual enemies bringing them back to life, making them your sons and daughters. Your great heart for the lost father is what, through the Spirit, comes to our own hearts as we believe. As we look around the world around us, Lord, we see plenty of evidence of people who are hurting, people who are broken, people who need peace, people who need hope people who are full of guilt and fear. Your word has the hope. Your word has the peace. Your word offers forgiveness through Jesus to anyone who believes in him. Lord, we are your witnesses. We confess to you that we're not the faithful witnesses that we should be. Sometimes. We've let opportunities slide. Sometimes through our laziness, through our pride, through our indifference, through our lack of love, through our lack of spiritual maturity or devotion. God, we just want to say sorry for those opportunities that we've passed on by. Thank you for the example of D.L. Moody, who made it his promise to always witness at least to one person a day. Help us, Father, to be renewed in our passion for seeing lost people come to know you. It's not a message that's loved by all out in the community, Father. Some people are angry. Some people think they don't need God. Father, we were those people as well. At one stage or other. Living our own way putting ourselves on the throne, making the calls, and ignoring you. Help us to make disciples, Father, here at Monty. It's our purpose to introduce everyone who comes into contact with us here to Jesus. Give them an opportunity to follow him and to grow in him. Help us to do it well. And Sorry for the times, Father, where we've being distracted by less important things less important tasks less important headspace when we should be focused on reaching people for Christ and helping them grow in him thank you so much for the book of acts thank you for its example of what it looks like to witness for Christ in daily life as we see paul and peter and others preaching and living the gospel out. We want to thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and just ask that you will help us, fill us with your spirit to be your witnesses this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.